Are you in a leadership role trying to figure out how to convince others to change their mind? Have you ever wondered why is leading and influencing others so darn hard? Are you looking for practical answers to these two vital questions? If so, welcome to my podcast, Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. I'm your host, Denise Cooper, and I am a storyteller. I interview thought leaders and people just like you who are learning and practicing the art and expanding on the science of leadership. Listen as my guests and I talk about what it takes to be a remarkable leader in the 21st century. You know, if you've been listening to me for some time, you know that I have a global reach in my podcast and that the issues that we struggle with in America around creating inclusive, high-performance workplaces, finding careers that help us figure out how we're going to be our best selves and to be a leader that is not just regular, but remarkable and achieves remarkable results is not just a U.S. phenomenon. It is a global phenomenon. My next guest is from the Netherlands. She is awesome. As a multicultural and multi-passionate human being, she inspires and empowers people to be their best selves. Becoming a mother actually inspired her to shift from being a finance and IT consultant to becoming a workplace wellness and amplify diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. She made a promise to her son that we're going to talk about Vivian Aqua. She is one of the most phenomenal people that I've met, and all my guests are really phenomenal, but she really brings something different to our podcast. She makes topics related to workplace wellness and DEI accessible to everyone. She provides people with the right tools at the right time to embrace inclusive change, and she motivates people to think consciously and inspires them to take action. If the issue that you are trying to solve is that you really truly want to build an inclusive workplace where everyone feels like they belong, can contribute, feels heard, seen, and relevant, then this conversation is for you. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are hearing the sound of my voice. You know, I say that every week. I am so happy and so proud that you chose to tune in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, where we have conversation with people who are just like you, trying to figure out how to get from where they are now to where they want to be. We talk to executives, we talk to regular people, we talk to all kinds of people, because each and every last one of us is all trying to navigate this challenge of life, career, workplace, who we are, identity, etc. And here at Closing the Gap, we have real conversations with real people who are experts in their area, but also have a passion for changing the workplace, to making the workplace a more humane place, where we remember that we may sell products and services, but we sell them to people and they are purchased and they are made by people. And it is through the collective power of each of us that we change the world and change the lives of each other. So let me tell you a little bit about today. Today is really about diving deep into the area of inclusive workplace and wellness and where the intersectionality of that is, because we are changing. We, we are trying to find our footing in the new normal between virtual workplaces and we have to be at work, about the levels, economic levels that are caused by people who are frontline individuals versus those people who are corporate. I've said before that 40% of workers have the luxury 
of making the decision that they don't have to show up at a workplace. That means 60% of us have to show up every day in a regular way to a workplace where we are trying to figure out how to not only get the work done, but to how to do it in a way when we have so many pressures, things are changing, our lives are changing, the world is changing. And as human beings, we don't do well with change. We like control, we like predictability. And right now, we've got some shaky spots from inclusion to healthcare matters to well being to how we raise our children to how we take care of our elderly. So, our life is changing, and the way we think about our life is changing regularly. Well, my guest today is Vivian Aqua. She is, as, as, as she says, her title is Inclusive Workplace Wellness Advocate. And I have to tell you, she has a passion that is unmatched and unparalleled in my circle. She is clearly an expert in this particular area, but she talks to people in a way that allows them to connect to very complex ideas and make them relevant in their life. Her company is Viva La V. And I have to tell you that I hope that you will enjoy this conversation as much as I have enjoyed getting to know her. So with that, Vivian, how are you doing? How can I be doing after that amazing intro? I mean, I'm almost crying from the inside. No, thank you for the introduction. And I'm honored to have this conversation with you. I think it is, you know, we need small steps, stones, tips, techniques, ways of rethinking the way the workplace is and what the possibility of what it could be. And still with the goal of, you know, making money, because that's the reason why we work. We want to make money. Employers want to make money. Shareholders want to make money. So we're not advocating any changes to the fundamental nature of work, but we are saying that it is time to rethink and revolutionize or reinvent, maybe is a better word, how we think about the workplace. But before we get started with, with that conversation, I'd like my audience to get to know you a little bit. So tell us something that as a stranger, We should know about you. When you haven't seen me or you see me only through Zoom or through the video, you might think that I'm average when it comes to my length, but I'm six foot one. Mm. I'm very tall. And that is without the heels or without (laughs) sneakers. I'm a very tall person. I'm a very tall for a Ghanaian person, born and raised in Amsterdam. And I like to talk about food, I warned Denise already that I am going to drop some food elements in there because it's a way for me to connect with my people and for people to connect with me as well. Yes, yes, yes. And she does it beautifully because who can't relate to food? We either love Mm -hmm. it or hate it. We like to stretch ourselves by trying something new Mm -hmm. or we like to have the same thing where we have lots of control and predictability. So food is a wonderful metaphor for change and how we show up in the world. Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your work. How did you get into this idea of inclusive workplaces and becoming a wellness advocate? How did those Mm -hmm. two ideas collide? Well, being born and raised here in the Netherlands, where the marketing, when it comes to Amsterdam and the Netherlands, the marketing is very good. But what you don't see is that we in the Netherlands have a lot to learn when it comes to valuing people for who they are, but also where they are coming from and not asking these silly jokes or questions. 
when you look at Europe, know that we also have the same challenges that people are facing in the U.S. as well. Don't get fooled by the marketing. We have our challenges. Being a, an IT consultant, finance consultant for about 15 years, in 2013, the most wonderful thing happened. I found out that I became a mom. And I was working at a very small IT company at the time, was dealing with five managers. And I disclosed my pregnancy in a, at a very early stage because I wanted to prevent, you know, the gossips from happening. So I told them five weeks pregnant, I told them I am pregnant. And what was shared as a way for them to support my journey it was the activation of bullying. It was the activation of the maternal wall bias. It was also the activation of me leaving early for a maternity leave at six months because I was dealing with a risky hypertension where not only was my life at risk, but also my unborn child was at risk as well. When my son was born, luckily healthy, nothing happened. But after four months, I realized that what am I doing? Why am I allowing myself to be bullied in a workplace, a workplace that is toxic, not only for me, but also for my son. And what would I say to my son if he felt some challenges in the workplace by the time that he becomes an adult, right? Mm -hmm. What would I tell him? And if I would give him a certain advice to stand up for himself, why am I not reflecting that towards myself? So I knew then and there that I had to stand up leave. It wasn't easy and they didn't make it easy for me, but I left and cut the umbilical cord with them. And I wanted to plant seeds now mm -hmm. so that not only I can reap from the inclusive fruits or from the well-being fruits, but also the next generation can do that. And it's because of my son. Yeah. I often say, if you want to go from liberal to conservative, have children. Mm. You become yeah. so protective and we begin yeah. to start seeing how the world educates them and socializes them yeah. to conform to ideas that when face value might be okay, but then when you dig deep into how we are executing against them, we go, oh, wait a minute, there's something wrong with this. Picture. Yes, exactly. The mom lion woke up within me. And, oh, um, I love that. And through that, through him, I am seeing so much more, learning so much more of myself, but also unlearning the hurt that was caused upon me to change that. Yeah. You mentioned something. I didn't quite catch the, the title, but you talked about maternal wall bias. War bias. Wall bias. So what is um, that? tell me what that looks like. Yeah. The moment that a woman announces her pregnancy, I mean, there are some workplaces, some people that embrace and celebrate a pregnant woman. But how many women do you know would disclose their pregnancy when they are applying for a job, mm. right? How many women would disclose at the beginning of applying for the job that they just had a baby, right? Mm. And how many mothers are facing the challenges where they are forced, I mean forced, to lactate in a room that's not proper? And not proper is being forced into lactate in a in a restroom mm -hmm. would you eat your four course meal in a restroom would you mm -hmm. do that mm -hmm. but yet you are forcing mothers to do that as well or in the cleaning room those are the things that you are upholding mothers to a different standard you are disencouraging them to come to the workplace and it's actually also an unwritten rule where you want them to stay at home 
Mm-hmm. The impact of it is yeah. forcing them to, to yeah. make a choice between supporting my child and nurturing yeah. my child in a yeah. way that is honorable versus yeah. can I yeah. work and do that too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I get it now. I get it. I, that's an interesting, that's an interesting phrase. I like that phrase. So let's talk about, you know, the, you talked about your own healing journey in mm-hmm. terms of trying to help yourself unlearn things that didn't serve you well. Yeah. That's really about well-being, right? Our mental mm-hmm. well-being. Talk to me about when you talk about wellness and well-being, what does that mean to you? And what would you see that we all need to be educated about? Well, when I started my career, I noticed a few things. When there are women in the workplace, I was the only black woman in the workplace. And later I found out that I was being tokenized, but I didn't know the effect of being the token in the room. If there are any black people, there are most of the times there is only one of each or I am the only one. And I did not know what kind of impact it had. It had an impact on my confidence and it had an impact on my self-esteem, but it also made me not speak up the way I'm speaking up right now. So even though I'm very tall, my length does speak up for itself, but Mm -hmm. I kept myself very small. Mm -hmm. And when I tried to speak up or when I tried to, you know, excel, I was always told, Vivian, keep it down. Don't do this. No, let somebody else go in front of you and et cetera, et cetera. So I held myself very small. Mm -hmm which is causing me to think differently about myself, which is causing me to disconnect with the person that I am and which is causing me to assimilate into the culture fit. Mm -hmm. Doing all that, it caused me to disconnect with myself and it can activate depression. It can activate that mental state where you don't feel like you are are yourself. It can also activate a burnout. I was, let's say I did not have a burnout but I was tiptoeing around the burnout. Mm-hmm. How did you know that? So there's so much to unpack in mm-hmm. what you just said, right? So I want to talk first about this tiptoeing around burnout, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of us do that. And I'm not sure that we're really tiptoeing around it. I just yeah. think that we're just not acknowledging mm-hmm. that we're burnout and burn up. Yeah. What does that look like when you're tiptoeing around burnout? For me, I came to the realization that I was unhappy. Mm-hmm. Whilst people know me as a very joyous person, but also the fact that the things that that I used to energize myself, used to have fun with, it didn't give me that same energy. And I started to talk negative. I started to have a lower self-esteem, but also low energy and let's say that my cloud began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger. It started with a a small cloud. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, there's also a different way to to share that. It started with a small puppy, black dog. And this black dog began to grow bigger and bigger and bigger, even bigger than an elephant, whilst the black dog is blocking me. But realizing that a friend of mine alarmed me that I am depressed and that the way that I'm going towards that, I'm activating my burnout. That's when I started seeking help. Yeah. So, and I think a lot of people now are, are feeling like they have to conform to a set of standards or who they were and they're losing their joy in the work that they do. 
Mm-hmm. The workplace is not a place where they feel energized and they may or may not have felt energized prior, but I think it's been exacerbated or highlighted because of the experience we've had over the last two years or yeah. year and a half at this time. And the also other- don't forget the way that we are brought up, especially Black people, but also Black women, seeking help, Yeah, it's not a common thing. So I had to unlearn that I am seeking help outside of the family. I'm seeking help from somebody who I don't know, but yet I am sharing the challenges that we face. I am also unlearning the fact that it's okay to ask help. Mm-hmm. I am also learning that a way to talk about my challenges or a way to do the exercises that I got from my therapist was for me very healing, mm-hmm. healing not only the Vivian now, but I was also healing the trauma that was passed upon me from generation to generation to generation. And I made a bold move towards myself. Mm -hmm. I'm going to cut the umbilical cord and it will stop with me. I don't want to pass this on to my son. Mm -hmm. And, And it's interesting because as I, first of all, go through my own, I think we struggle with not just asking for help, but knowing what help looks like. Mm hmm. What yeah. what support do I need? And I think once mm-hmm. you've been conditioned that you are the person who is seen as the powerful one, the one who gets things done, yeah. the high performer, the person with all the ideas that makes it happen, et cetera. I think part of losing yourself is losing that part of you that even knows what support would look like because yeah. it's uncomfortable. I mean, as I've, you know, my mother, who is my best friend, I called her my road dog. I lost her this year. Mm. And that whole relearning of who I am was difficult. But I think the most difficult thing is what you just said about learning to ask for help. But what did help look like? Yeah. What would be supportive of me? And fortunately, I have fabulous friends who somehow knew how to find space for me to rest. I'm not sure that, you know, so there's the problem, I think, in what you said that I don't know I'm dancing would burn out. Then I find out that I am burnt out or depressed, but then I don't know what to do. And so how can I be supported when I don't know how to ask for that support? What would you tell people who are trying to help people who actually see that people are being burnt out, particularly in the workplace? And let me give you an example to kind of play through. So, so often you know, we just had a story recently about Burger King and the employees at a Burger King franchise walked off the job, not because of the pay, but because they didn't have the right equipment, mm. because they were working shorthanded, because yeah. the product wasn't showing up, because customers were just nasty, because their burger wasn't ready for them. And they just decided as a team, we're not going to take it anymore. And they walked off. Since then, I've heard stories, I've asked people about it, and I keep hearing stories of workplaces that are, you know, don't have, they're trying to cut corners so they don't bring the equipment in, or it's not enough equipment, or it's not the right equipment. Managers who are on the verge of burnout or dancing with burnout, and they're screaming and hollering and expecting that to be the motivating piece for them. And people who, managers who are even, particularly one woman was sharing with me, how she is a really good performer, gets it done, wants to be promoted and go to another group. And her manager actually blocked her from being able to move to another group, be able to advance. And ultimately she wound up quitting because of that idea. And I'm sure if I take his point of view, 
It was, oh my God, I'm never going to get somebody who's good as she is. I don't want to let go. I don't want to change. And he felt justified in holding her. And the carrot is, oh, oh, well, you'll get there. Don't worry about it. You'll get there. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think these are all signs of a toxic workplace that we don't value as leaders because we just think, you know, before it was okay. I don't think it is now. If you were someone sitting on the sidelines and watch that, watch these kinds of things here, what do you think people can do? How can they help each other not go through depression? I would first ask with, how can I help you? And not, how are you doing? No, how can I help you? How can I support you? Because I am seeing that my friend is behaving differently. It's not my friend anymore. And I can feel like you are in a state where you need support. Can I support you? Or can we go together to a coach or to a therapist? Depending, of course, who the person is and how close you are to this person, because the last thing that you should do is surprise them with an intervention. But Mm -hmm. sometimes you have to if they are not listening. Sometimes you knock on their shoulders. They are not listening. Sometimes you, let's say, you move their face around and they are not listening. And sometimes you have to really shake them Mm -hmm. for them to listen. Mm -hmm. And there are different ways to do that. So be supportive by asking the question. How can I help you? But this is also for the caregivers, Mm -hmm. also for the friends. You cannot pour from an empty cup Mm. by supporting somebody else. So if Mm -hmm. you are in a state of depression, find Mm -hmm. somebody else to support them. Because Mm -hmm. otherwise you end up in the compassion fatigue where you are in a loop. Mm -hmm. Talk to me a little bit, because part of your title is Inclusive Workplace. Mm-hmm. wellness advocate to I have it's kind of a I don't know maybe a dumb question but mm-hmm. is there a difference between people of color or traditionally marginalized group and how depression and toxic workplaces show up you know not so much I mean we talk a lot about microaggressions and things like that but from a wellness point of view is there a difference the difference is we hide it we hide a lot of the pain that that is put upon us. We, before we were starting the show, even we were talking about microaggression and my opinion regarding microaggression is it's a macro thing. Mm. It's like sticking your hand in a beehive full of killer bees and waiting upon one of the killer bees to be angry. And the next killer bee is going to be angry. That, that impact on itself, Mm -hmm. it is detrimental. It is dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. And we need to find a way to make others aware that your microaggression, even though you're, you might be complimenting somebody else, but wrapping it in a microaggression, it's painful and we need to speak up about it in a gentle way. Because sometimes when people share their, you know, their experience from being the victim, it can also go to the other side. So be human, be gentle. Not everybody is aware of what they are doing wrong. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of microaggressions? I, I think we toss that word around mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And at your point of they may not be aware, I think it is a new concept and we don't know what that means. So what yeah. is, 
What's a microaggression? Give me some examples. Uh, a microaggression could be if I'm born in the States and I'm a, a Black African woman and someone else is telling me you can speak very well English. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, okay, I'm born here. Why shouldn't I be speaking well English, right? Or the microaggression in the compliment, but that's good. And you are a Black woman. That's good, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not like the other Black people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The other one is, Touching somebody's hair without mm. permission, mm-hmm. it's also a microaggression. Why? Because it, I'm okay, not, so I have to stop you on that one. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and, and here's why. I yeah. was on a another podcast, Leadership Junkie, which was a fabulous experience. And mm-hmm. in, in my book, I write about these microaggressions and the whole hair thing. And the guy said, I never knew that. And I've committed it a lot. Why is that a problem? And it mm. never dawned on me that somebody would know why touching somebody else's hair? <laughs> it's a misdemeanor. First class misdemeanor. It's the article number one. Never touch the crown of somebody else's hair. And if you want to, ask permission. Mm-hmm. Ask permission. I see it with my son. My son is biracial. And I told him from the get-go, you have to do the matrix. If somebody is you know, reaching for his hair or having his hand in a particular way, just do the matrix. The only people that can are allowed to touch his hair are his parents and some of the family members. I don't want that. Mm-hmm. So it feels very personal when somebody's touching my hair. It feels like they are touching my, you know, my bottoms. They are touching me in an inappropriate way. Don't touch my hair. And I think for some listeners, the idea, because you mentioned the crown, right? Mm-hmm. I think culturally, Yeah. Hair for us is a huge significant Mm. event in our life. It is a defining moment. And I I know, you know, there's lots of words around and lots of comment and advocates about body shame and et cetera. But for particularly black people and and probably others, the hair means that it it is almost a DNA part of us of who we are defined. It's our identity. I love and I love the fact that you said it's like touching my bottom without permission. Mm -hmm. Would you yeah and and there's probably some on here who say, oh yeah, I've done that too. Just watch a football (laughs) game, right? Guys are slapping each other's bottoms and I guess they think it's okay to slap each other's bottoms in the game. And I always found that to be really you Mm -hmm. you feel it's okay, but there must be a secret permission given that we don't know anything about. But can you talk a little bit about the history of the crown, the idea of the crown? Yeah. Our hair is our identity and the way our hair is our hair is very versatile. It's like our power, our superpowers that are in there. And sometimes, you know, the Vivian that you see here today, I can be 12 people in one year because I have different layers, different hairstyles and different creations and you touching my hair, it's actually you slapping me myself in my face. It's actually you not honoring me as an individual. And it's also actually inviting me to behave in a certain way or shock me in a certain way or paralyze me in a certain Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And I want to educate people that never touch somebody's hair without Mm -hmm. any permission and it's interesting because there was a recent article midsummer or thereabouts about the EU or the Court of Justice deciding that it was okay that companies can ban hmm. headscarves to hijab. Yeah. 
out of it. And it, to me, that felt like an insult about our crown, right? Yeah. Not, not just religious, but this whole idea that society, people, companies can define what is appropriate for us to look like mm-hmm. at their workplace. And, and I'm not talking about, you know, people who smell of something offensive, but the fact that I, I wear hijab or here, you know, we have new laws on the books that say you can't discriminate because of a way a person wears their hair because mm-hmm. women are like women are now starting to go natural. Yes. And we're trying to figure out what natural actually means because we haven't had that opportunity in decades. And as you said, it's very versatile. And so this idea of being able to touch my hair, touch, you know, define how I look based on your religious and or ethnic or experience is, you know, microaggression is not a big it's enough micro. word, right? Let's, let's <laughs> talk about it. It's microaggression. It is, it's painful. It's painful because you are telling me not to be myself and I'm not embraced as who I am. And the fact that this is, this is Europe, people, this is Europe in 2021, where the European justice of court of all places decided this ban, that this ban is okay in some workplaces to ban women from working there because they are wearing a hijab. And I am just like, I am so furious about this because it's bringing us back to a place where you are dictating what a woman can wear, how she should dress and how she should behave. Mm -hmm. And there are other ways in which we have that conversation in the workplace the whole idea of equitable pay mm-hmm. or lack of equitable pay yeah. out of it. And, and what is our self-worth? So give me your ideas, your thoughts on, so what's the solution? What, what can we do? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you see as first steps that people can take? I want to challenge people to amplify their own diversity, equity, and inclusion learning, because there is program installed within us thinking that Diversity, equity, inclusion is only for HR or it's only for the leadership. And I am advocating for the fact that we, the people, the employees, we play a huge role in creating that inclusive workplace. But if we are not aware what kind of role we are playing, if we are not aware why why diversity or why inclusion is important, not only for ourselves, but also for others, mm-hmm. how can we move the needle? Mm-hmm. How can we move the needle? And that's also one of the reasons why I created a summit called Amplify DEI. It's it's weird for me to say this, but my son inspired me after explaining to him why George Floyd died. Mind mm-hmm. you, he's biracial. So I had to share my perspective as a Black mom by saying George Floyd died because of the color of his skin and realizing that his mom has the same skin color as George Floyd. He only asked me one question, and that is, is anybody going to hurt you? That Mm. question, it paralyzed me, but it fueled me to be part of the solution. It fueled me to to not sit back. It basically bungee-jumped me out of my comfort zone to, to be part of the solution. Yeah, yeah. So how can I heal? You know, I'm a black woman. I've mm-hmm. I've been trained just like everybody else. I've been socialized to minimize myself. I, I do tell, I think I say it in my book, that I knew people actually saw me. Mm-hmm. It usually took about three to six months after I joined a new company. 
because suddenly one of the executives would be standing next to me and they go, you know, you're really short. <laughs> and so what I translated that into is what they had been seeing was the bigness of my personality, the bigness of I'm a fairly confident person when I'm in that workplace. Mm-hmm. And that persona creates an energy around me that makes yeah. people look. But then when they actually see me, they see me physically. They see me as an individual who is a contributor to the workplace. And so mm-hmm. that was my signal that said, okay, you've gotten past just seeing me as a black woman. You kind of sort of have to listen to, but mm-hmm. you don't really have to listen to. But it took a certain level of awareness for me to yeah. be able to figure those things out. What can I do to help heal myself around this idea? I would say connect yourself with like-minded people. Find your community or create your community. And I have, I definitely have one book or one author that I would recommend, and that is Minda Hearts. Mm-hmm. She has the memo how a woman of color can claim her seat at the table. And if you cannot claim your seat at the table within the company, create your own seat. We need to be empowered to create our seats, but we also need to empower other women. When you see another Black woman smile, when you see another Black woman doing amazing things, clap for her, root for her. When you see her doing things that you wouldn't do or you dislike, don't say anything. It's not about beating us down. It's about bringing us up and also highlighting the fact that we have Black excellence. We are magical, Black girl magic. Mm-hmm. So what can others who maybe not be black women, what can they do to support? You know, we talk yeah. a lot. We talk in circles around allyship. But mm-hmm. what does allyship really look like? Yeah. A way for you to support as maybe a white person or a different person is become a sponsor. I don't even want to ask you to become a mentor, become a sponsor. So a sponsor Mm. is somebody that goes at events and will bring somebody else who wouldn't normally be visible at that event, bring them in. Mm -hmm. If that means that you are in certain circles, bring them in that circle so that Mm -hmm. they can get to know, you know, the whole game plan about networking, about maybe playing golf or about the ways that to connect with each other so that you Pass that knowledge. You pass that knowledge in a good way and create that diverse space or a space where their voices are also heard. We need sponsorship. Mm-hmm. What's what a good sponsorship program look like inside a company? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that you can dictate it, but yeah. what could a company do that would make that would have a program that's robust? Create a a sponsorship program where you connect senior leaders with maybe juniors or connect senior leaders with the minority groups within the company as well. But I wouldn't highlight it only for them because then we are also creating exclusion within the company whilst we want to activate inclusion. But make the program more accessible. Challenge yourself by activating micro actions or honoring micro actions for senior leaders to take. But also, I do want senior leaders, leaders in general, to connect themselves with their turnover rates and make it also visible, the diversity turnover, make that visible as well. One of the things I advocate is not just a turnover rate, but you ought to be looking at your pipeline, Mm, your candidate pipeline inside your company that says, who's ready 
and who's in that ready now, mm-hmm. ready in one year, ready in three years. Yeah. And if you don't have a pipeline that has women, people of color, traditionally marginalized people in that pipeline, then something's wrong with the way you are thinking about succession planning. Because really good companies or companies that understand continuity and sustainability understand that knowledge is passed from one person to another and Mm -hmm. that being in the culture actually teaches you how to sustain the Mm -hmm. workplace, the values, the ideas. And so understanding, first of all, what your values are, but also looking at your pipeline, your succession pipeline, and how ready it is, is another good way to think about creating a more inclusive workplace. What I also would like to add, what I also would like to add is the demographics of Europe and the United States, they are changing. Your clientele demographics are changing. So if you are not activating a new audience or the audience that you are missing out money or connections, mm-hmm. don't wait because your competitor will tap into that goal. They yeah. will tap into that well where they are connecting to a new audience, where they are stealing some of your audience away. And also you have to realize now that people are applying for jobs. There are a few essential questions that they are asking. Can you show me diversity? What have you done when it comes to diversity inclusion? What kind of programs do you have for professional development for the people with a diverse background? And if you're not able to answer these questions or not show these actions, you'll be investing a lot of money in people coming in, but they will run much faster out the company. And it's interesting because I think most people will answer that question. They will expect HR to answer that question. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest turnoff is when an executive can't, supervisor, boss, whatever that title is, somebody in management can't answer that question, Mm -hmm. I think is a bigger turnoff than HR because whether HR can answer it or not, the person I report to is you. And if you don't know, then it must not have been important enough a topic or an issue to do it. It's no different than if I ask you what the strategy of the company is and you can't tell me yeah. on it. So I can't believe we've hit the end. Thank you so much for all your wisdom and this valuable information. How can people get a hold of you? People can reach me via LinkedIn. I'm active there or via Twitter. That's another way. Or join the summit for Amplify DEI, which is starting in September 27th to 29th. Yeah. And what will people get if they come to the summit? Mm-hmm. Who's it for? Well, it's it's for everybody. I want this summit to be accessible for everybody who is just starting their journey or wants to activate their DEI journey, but also for those who are maybe 25% along their way in the journey or maybe halfway along the way in the journey or maybe think that they are intermediate or advanced. I am challenging myself to learn and unlearn a lot of things when it comes to DEI and I want to bring you along. So it's not about, you know, meeting you where you are at, but providing the space, providing the route so that you can accelerate your journey. Oh, excellent. So it's open to anyone who's interested in moving along in the journey, regardless of where you are. There's going to be something for them. Yeah, for everybody, the change makers, the leaders, the HR professionals, the DEI professionals, but also those who feel compelled to do something but don't know where to start. Yeah. That's the place. 
And this is a virtual summit, right? It's all virtual. It's yeah. all virtual. Know that at least 70 international people will be on there. So people from the US, Canada, from Europe, from the Middle East, from Asia, from Australia. Yes, a person in the Netherlands made that happen because she listened to her son. Yeah, that's so fantastic. And so for those of you who are listening, think of it from a perspective of the first step in creating inclusive workplaces mm -hmm. is actually taking the opportunity to learn and listen and be in the company of people who are not like you. Yeah. The one thing that I hear most back from people is, I don't know where to go. I don't know mm -hmm. where to, you know, where would I start? Well, here is something that is a great place for you to start. It's safe, you're still at home, you can yeah. listen, you can be invisible, or you can be visible in the workspaces around this summit. And what's the name of the summit again? Amplify DEI. Let's amplify DEI, yes. folks. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, folks? That's a wrap. You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. And I hope that you've taken something in that is going to change your life. I ask you, please, Follow me on wherever you're listening right now, but also please share this content because if you didn't like it, share it. If you did like it, share it because I guarantee it will start a conversation. It will start others thinking on how we're going to be able to close the gap and create workplaces that are filled with humanity that work for everyone. And that's a wrap. I'll talk to you later. Bye. That's a wrap. And I'm Denise Cooper, and you've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Let me thank my good friend, Ivan G. Hall, for the background music. I'd like to ask you to do three things. One, if you liked it, share it with your friends. Let's build up our community. Two, subscribe so that you don't miss when a new episode drops. And lastly, if you've got a question or a comment, leave it below. I'd love to hear what you thought was good, what I could do better, and what topics you'd like to hear about. Let me thank my guests one more last time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.